This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I had the absolute honor of spending some time with Bob Holder today. Bob's been a game warden for 47 years in Colorado. That's not enough to make you want to listen to this podcast. I don't know what to tell you. Hey everybody, this is Cody, and uh, I'm pretty excited about today. I'm joined today by Bob Holder of uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And Bob, you're new on the job, right? Just right. Just started? Just started 47 years ago. 47 years ago. Yep. I gotta tell you, Bob, sometimes I feel like an old man and... You started doing this a year before I was born. Right. What, uh, I got a million questions, but what, give me the, how it happened. Like, were you six years old and you knew you wanted to be a game warden? How how did it happen that you got into this job? Oh, that's an interesting question. My, I was raised in a family that hunts and we spent all our time outdoors and it was always just a natural progression. Um, the game warden was always, to me, somebody that you looked up to, uh, 
kind of larger than life, in my opinion, when I was a little guy. And yeah, I knew from the time I was a little guy that I wanted to be game warden. There wasn't anything else. I mean, I was halfway decent at football and all the other things and had some offers to play, but I knew I wasn't going to be an NFL, you know, lineman or anything like that, but I knew that I could be the best game warden that I could be, and that's that's the reason for doing it as long as I've as I've done it. The other question that pops into my head a little bit with that is, uh, I hope it's not a touchy subject. I don't think it will be, but you're in the same region, essentially doing. Is is it fair to say the same job, in essence, for forty seven years? Yes, I was. I've been in the same the same district for 47 years. When I was uh, when I was assigned, I was fortunate enough to be hired immediately out of college, uh, which was a an absolute blessing, and was sent to my present uh, present location. Um, nobody had ever stayed longer than two years down there, and uh, my dad asked me why I stayed because there were some some negative incidents, uh, some armed incidents and things like that that uh, just weren't used to, you know, in, the, in our environment. And uh, I was told when I, when I got this job, somebody called me into their office and said that the friends that I made in, in down in that country would be the best I've ever had and the enemies would be the worst. And it's somewhat played out, but... It's a, just a magnificent, uh, the wildlife resource is, is next to none in the state of Colorado. And, and I'll, I'll rival it about anywhere in the U.S. But the people as well have just been, uh, uh, obviously they're like family now after all of those decades. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time to be in one place. When I was in the military, if somebody was in a job too long, it was usually because they were a little ornery or, you know, they didn't get it. But you've you've chosen to stay down there. Um, and I think I think that relationship, my dad was, my dad, my father was in law enforcement for 47 years, coincidentally enough, as a, wow. as a police officer. Um, and I think that uh, I sometimes worry about law enforcement because of the lack of relationship building. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to like... Uh, I don't want to point a finger. I'm not saying it's really anyone's fault. I think it's a byproduct of our world um, that there's less of that. There's less of that, uh, weirdly, that uh, Andy Griffith, Mayberry, he knew who the kid walking down the sidewalk on the other side of Mayberry was. Um, and I don't mean, it doesn't have to be a small town. It can be a neighborhood in New York City that that happens just as easily. Um, but you have to have... Both good and bad, probably. You have to have some pretty solid relationship with some folks when you've been around for 47 years. You know, you, you hit the nail square on the head there. One of the things that I have tried to get across and that, that somewhat it kind of concerns me anymore is the longevity. I think longevity speaks to um, you can have longevity and, and have respect and trust over the over that period. Uh, if you if you don't have the respect or don't have the trust of the people, then that longevity does you no good. But I'm dealing now 
Uh, obviously, with kids that I dealt with that I gave their hunter safety cards to, I'm now dealing with their sons and daughters or even their grandkids. And it's, there is a continuity there. And I think it's, I think it's essential. It has made it easier for me to see them grow up and and enjoy the outdoors, enjoy the hunting and fishing and everything that that their mom and dad were doing and, and all of those kinds of things. So. Well, I think it's got to uh, not, I, th I think it probably makes your job easier. I, I don't want to claim that you have an easy job, but they've developed, it, it's, what we lost from that relationship in law enforcement, I think, is there's this flash in the brain, especially of a kid. Of a, of, a, of a kid that's out hunting or fishing, and for just a second they think about doing something that they know skirts the law just a little bit. They're going to take one too many fish home or something. That's harder. That's harder when you know Bob, and you've known Bob all your life, and your dad knows Bob. When you're still in that that young age of learning right from wrong, and you know, does, that, does that make sense? Like, I think there's a respect level where... They know that dad and maybe grandpa knows you, and they're still in those formative years. I know it was for me. Not that I didn't do dumb shit when I was a kid, even though my dad was the chief of police. But it was a thought that was in my brain. It was a thought that was in my friend's brain that knew my dad from that relationship. I think that's part of what law enforcement is lacking some today across the board. I agree. I There have been several incidents uh, over the years that that have come to light that the... Uh, things that may have gone uh, the wrong direction didn't because the parents knew me or whatever it was. I mean, I've had some some pretty major violations that uh, when we, you know, when they were confronted, the parents told them, "Hey, <laughs> we told you right. that 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 he would be here at some point," and and it's been very. Um, you have to foster that as well. I mean, you have to you have to be realistic about about your approach to them, and and treat them uh, with respect. You know, when you're dealing with them, obviously, like your dad did, you deal you deal with respect even to those people that break the law, because sometimes it's not a it's not necessarily not necessarily malicious. Like you said, maybe it's one too many fish or something like that, but it's also a chance for education. Yeah, that's uh, I I don't know what the solution is with that. I'm a gigantic backer of law enforcement, and I I'm a a huge supporter of rules both in society and within, uh, you know, wild game management is the the reason we have this literal paradise that we live in that people take for granted. Um. I don't know how I don't know how we fix that portion of law enforcement. I hope that we're it's a cyclic thing that people come back and realize um, that re relationships is probably the number one key in in preventing for sure crime. Um, and then secondly, it's also got to make your job a little easier solving things. I mean, if I showed up down in your neck of the woods as the new game warden and a and a and a a crime happened tomorrow. I, I would think that it would just be a shitload harder for me to figure out what happened than it would be for you. You got to know the ins and outs of the area. You know that that's a that's a big part of it. Uh, 
and I think, again, that goes back to the longevity part of it because sometimes they, they, they think you can do more than you can. Sure. You may be larger than life, you know what I mean? But, uh, uh, and they, they're always generally willing to come forward. But once again, whether it's law enforcement or whether it's a violator, it's the respect. If there's no respect there on either side, then things can go south pretty fast. But if you treat them with respect, understand that people make mistakes, even if they've done it intentionally, you deal with that and you move on. It's not, it's not necessarily a personal affront. Maybe it's a cultural deal or whatever it might have been, but you deal with that and you move on. So, Yeah, absolutely. I very, very wise statement. What, uh, I think this is going to be an incredibly hard question to answer, but what do you see in, what's changed? What's changed? Focusing maybe a little bit more on hunters, just for our, our audience, hunters and hunting. Um, what's changed in, in 47 years that you see, whether it's the people or the, the popularity of hunting, the the methods of take, what, what are the things that stick out to you that has changed in 47 years? You know, I'm not sure that one of the thing that, one of the things that concerns me is the, the respect. Well, I mean, there, there we go with that word again, but, uh, and, and, and people that don't hunt, don't understand it, how you could respect or love something that you have just harvested but but you've been there you've never I've never seen a true hunter somebody that's got hunting and and the outdoors and wilderness in their heart that when they when they dealt with that animal on the ground that there wasn't a moment of silence or or a prayer given or whatever it was to show that reverence to that animal but I think I think we need to get back to that and not so much the <laughs> Uh, and everybody loves a, a big set of antlers or whatever, but let's not be so concerned about a, a Boone and Crockett score or a Pope and Young score or whatever. Let's just be let's be thankful that we have the opportunity to hunt. There's lots of places in the world that you don't have that opportunity. No, hundred percent. That's absolutely true. What do you think? Uh, what do you think causes that, or, or do you have an opinion on what's causing that? Maybe. Uh lack or that deterioration of the respect for the hunt or for the animals that you're seeing in the field you know i don't know if it's if it's if it's an ego situation i think part of it and that's why uh, and i'm not blowing smoke here but that's why i appreciate you having this podcast so because it's you see a lot of things on tv that that maybe you know maybe don't present it in in the light that you and I were brought up with, you know, it's, it's not all about the, the size of the animal or this or that people don't understand. And I, and I get this constantly because one of the areas that I manage down there is, is known for some, some trophy quality elk. And, and I always get the question, well, what should I hold out for? What, you know, what score should I look for? And I tell them, man, you guys, you're going about it the wrong way. I said, you you will know the time of day, who you're with, 
everything everything comes together when you when you pull that trigger or release that arrow doesn't have to be about the size of the animal for me like my best hunts were with my dad with my uncle with my son it's not about anything else but that relationship and being out outdoors so i think that i think the horn balance is is it's, it's the thing that i call it is the horn balance because there, there's a whole bunch of other factors first of all the taking of mature animals is in fact mature male animals is is actually a part of a conservation practice right like right. like like the the founding of Boone and Crockett way back was not about a scorebook that was a totally ancillary thing it was a way to track herd health through the study of mature males which then led to big horns and then of course we as Americans 100% made it into a competition right exactly um and also i like big horns right so I, mean, do I, sure. I mean 100% the the whole thing that you just said about people asking you I've shot, uh, I, 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 I journal my hunts pretty hard, and it's not a thing that I obsess over or talk about, but I've shot 13 mule deer bucks in my life. I come from Kansas, hunted a lot more whitetails, shot a couple of mule deer in Kansas, but it's not a big thing. We're a whitetail state. Um, and this year, this just this year, I got um, ran into someone that got me a voucher here in Colorado to get on private land on a piece of ground that they were telling me was pretty good. And I had, I had those exact same thoughts. I never verbalized it. I've never, this is the first time I've ever verbalized it out loud. I didn't even talk to my wife about it of, holy crap, I don't really know what I want to, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know what I want to pull the trigger on, on day one of this four days that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you're at, when, when we saw the deer that I shot, no, there was no questions. Right. right? And to be honest, it's not a gigantic mule deer. But a hundred percent, I knew that I I want that deer, and yep. it's not it's not going on the cover of magazines. It's not going in the top thousand mule deer ever taken in the state of Colorado. It's not that deer, um, but we it's a conflict, right? It's a it's a the horn shouldn't be the number one priority. I also think it's kind of okay that it's part of the of the tradition for us at times, as long as it doesn't dominate the thought process and the motivation no question no question i mean like you said and you put it uh, you know very succinctly it it is part of management you know taking taking the older animals and and this and that no question about it and and to me antlers are a work of art you know there are people that sell antlers and everything and that's fine i don't i'm not passing judgment there or something i would never do it to to me every Every antler is a work of art. The antlers that you looked at in the back of that truck, road kills, but those were, that's a work of art. Some, something, something, some power, some, something in our universe made that, that work of art. And to me, it's, it's just as impressive as any, as any painting or sculpture or anything like that. So, yeah, I think the cool, the coolest draw to me on antlers are the thing that was like inherently in us is they last, right? Yep. Like, like I have antlers from two generations ago and they quite honestly, if you keep them out of the sunlight, they look identical to the way they did 50, 60, a hundred years ago, you know? 
And I, I think that's one of the coolest parts about it. And I think it's why we inherently um, want that to be our memento or our trophy from the hunt is is uh, it, it's going to last forever. You know, the, the horns will. The, even the taxidermy can deteriorate over a century, but the, the horns are going to look like they did forever. I think that's one of the cool parts of it. That's an um, outstanding observation because I try to tell people, and, and I've got some antlers that were my grandpa's, uh, any antler that my dad ever took or, or whatever it is, and and it's it's a, people think, you know, they talk about trophy hunting or a trophy room or whatever. It's a three-dimensional memory. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, you can, it's something that you can hold in your hand and I can tell you which direction the wind was blowing, what the sun, you know, was the sun was going down, temperature, everything. I, it just brings it all back. And, and it really and truly is regardless of the size. One of one of my favorite mounts in the world is a lot of friends come over. And it's, it's the first archery deer that I killed. Um, and I mean, when this deer was alive, if you were 100 yards away from it without glass, you might have thought it was a doe. You know, I mean, it's a mm-hmm. very, very small whitetail. But uh, I'll, have, I'll have those horns forever. And hopefully in some way my, you know, my kids might stash them in a back room or in the garage or something but there's a, a three-dimensional memory is a phrase that i'm going to use i like that a yeah, lot yeah it's just uh it's just something that you can touch and it all floods back over you right there so here, here's another question that i ask every time i get in conversation with a game warden because i thought about it i thought about law enforcement because of my father i thought about about wildlife law enforcement because I wanted to be outdoors, and I was thinking about law enforcement, and I got petrified as I was moving into the situation that it would just drastically destroy my hunting time. How much do you get? This is a this is the least philosophical question or or deep question we're going to talk about. But do you get to hunt still? You know, it's not. It's it's a great question because it does it does take away from your hunting opportunities and things like that. The only thing is that you're around it all the time. Right. And and for, you know, like I say, for 47 years, it's been a, you see people that have taken, just like you said, their first deer or their first elk. And it's like, you can, you can relate to that sure. and it brings it all back. So, uh, yeah, you don't get to hunt like you like you would like to and you can't afford to hunt like some of the hunts are now and the, and that kind of stuff because the, the pay scale is not there but it's not it's not about the money it's about being in that in that environment also it's the greatest job when you do get to hunt it's the greatest scouting job in the world it is it is but the, the, the problem that i and one of the problems is a lot of that uh a lot of that stuff is is on private land, sure. the land that you can't hunt. But still, the the thing that people have to remember, and and I know that you will bring this up in all of your podcasts. Wildlife belongs to all of us. It doesn't just belong to the guy that's going out to kill it. I I guarantee you that that sitting right here, if there were a flock of geese flew over, people that don't hunt would stop to look up at them as they as they honk and pass over and so wildlife impacts everybody and 
it belongs to all of us. So part of that, I mean, it, you don't have to be a hunter to, to, to appreciate wildlife and be a part of it and, and understand that it's your responsibility to be a part of, of protecting that wildlife. No, a hundred percent. And, and, and not take it for granted, I think is crucial as well, because I've been all over the world. I've been fortunate enough in my life to go to 31 countries and, uh, some, some of them, not countries that you want to go to right. necessarily, but if some of them, the, the greatest locations in the world to visit and we're insanely spoiled. I mean, like compared to really, I think Australia is the only other place that even is a remote second to us as far as the public being able to all aspects of outdoor recreation, enjoy wildlife. Um, and it's not, it, 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 it wasn't by chance that that happened. You know, I mean, the, the, the system that we have set up while there's flaws in the system, human beings screw the system up. It's, it's far from perfect, but it is the best in the world. Um, at the fact that, and I, I think that, you know, I'm, I've only lived in Colorado two years. I still get, you know, bumper stickers until I changed my license plate from Texas. I kept getting bumper stickers stuck on my truck that said, Texas sucks. I only lived in Texas. I lived in Texas for nine months, and I brought that bad reputation to to Colorado with me. But we live in a paradise here. I mean, we live in a legitimate wildlife paradise, and it's because of, you know, not again. I'm not blowing smoke either, but it's because of guys like you. It's because of hundred dollars. It's because of good game management. Um, what do you see as the as the threat? Like, if if there was if there's something that Bob Holder is worried about in the in the wildlife management, whether it's countrywide or whether it's in your specific area of Colorado or the state of Colorado. Do you see threats out there that worry you? Definitely, definitely. Loss of habitat. I mean, that you, you know, you think about it on a daily basis, whether it's, and, and I'm not <laughs> casting aspersions on any, any individual uh, corporation or anything like that, but we have... We have highways, we have ski areas, we have subdivisions, we have, everybody wants to live here, but every time that, that we build a house out in the mountains, we impact wildlife. And, and I'll say we, because, I mean, you know, when you drive down the road, you're impacting wildlife. It's just like our, our conversation prior to the podcast here, the, those deer in the back of, the, in the back of that truck people would be thrilled to death to be able to harvest something like that. And those animals were taken because they stepped out in front of a car or people weren't paying attention when right. they should have been. And that, those kinds of things are critical, that the loss of habitat, we have to look at how everything impacts wildlife. I mean, of course, in my life, and this sounds bad, but that's all that matters is wildlife. So... So houses out there or roads or whatever it is, all of those things are a negative impact on wildlife. Yeah, and, and that's the, uh, it's kind of the catch-22 of Colorado, right? That you get dopes like me that, I, I lived in Kansas all my life, we vacationed out here. I kind of, way back in the back of my mind, always wanted to live in the mountains. Didn't even necessarily verbalize it or know it, but I always wanted to live in the mountains um, I genuinely think it stems from the movie Jeremiah Johnson. I mean, that 
to me is the, you know, I just, I wanted to, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be Jeremiah Johnson. Um, and now I, you know, I'm not by any means. I live in a nice <laughs> house on a hill. Um, but that's where it came from. And that's the, the catch 22 of Colorado. It's just this, this paradise of everything, right? Yeah. Like it's not even, you know, you look at, you say a, a, Wyoming is a wildlife paradise. It really doesn't have the recreation and, you know, the skiing, the, the phenomenal river structures. You know, Colorado has everything. Um, and you just, and, and we don't have any right to not tell people they can't, or to tell people they can't come here sure. either. That's not a thing. Um, it's weird trying to figure out a solution to that conundrum. It's, it's a paradise and everybody wants to come here and everybody coming here will eventually potentially make it not a paradise anymore no you're right it is i mean it's 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 a difficult scenario but but it goes back to and i'll i'll use it again it goes back to respect if you do move here or whether you were born here it doesn't matter you've got to respect what's here and understand and you know when i when i contact a hunter uh i always ask what the relationship is father son father, daughter, whatever it is, and I always tell the, uh, you know, the son or daughter that before the day's over, they are to hug their mom or dad, tell them that they love them, and thank them for taking them hunting, because not all families do this together, and too often, you know, there's a, there's a time in your life when you think you're invincible, and you take those days for granted. And they're not always going to be here. And that's what we need to think about wildlife as well. It's not always going to be here if we don't take care of it. It's, it's, you know, it's the old saying, the old uh, catchphrase that wildlife doesn't have a voice. That's why I do what I do. They don't have a voice. We are to speak for them. And you are speaking for them, you know, doing the, the podcasts and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... It's a big responsibility that luckily folks before us did it well. And, and, uh, I think not taking it for granted is the thing that I try to preach to people that, that, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I was a honoring teenage kid that took it for granted. And, uh, um, I think that's the big, the big hurdle before us is to get, bring that respect full circle to get people to continue to respect it and not take advantage of it and not take it for granted so that, uh, so that it lasts as long as it can. You know, one of the, one of my, one of the things that I really, uh, that, that bring, bring great joy to me is of course, my son's a game warden, probably the best one I've ever been around. Uh, but I, there are kids down there in, in Southern Colorado that are, going into this field because they they of where they lived and you know hopefully because of education from me and their teachers and their parents and everything else and that's that's that next generation that's going to step up and and take care of it because unfortunately uh i don't have another 47 years in me you know <laughs> there'd be some kind of a feat right there that's for sure <laughs> Let's, uh, let's get, uh, I, another thing that I, I love stories, right? Like I think, I think maybe in an anecdotal way, I love stories. I also think sharing stories, 
um, is maybe a dying art form. And, and that those stories of, you know, my, when my dad was telling me stories about hunting with his uncles and the, and you know, those things res, like I wanted that. I wanted to then create my own stories. And I think maybe telling stories is, uh, it's not a dead art form. There's still a lot of people that do it. And it still happens a lot at, at hunting camp and those type of situations. But tell, tell, tell me a story. Like, I want to know the, the funniest thing or the goofiest thing or a funny thing that happened in the last 47 years. I don't want to get, uh, real serious, you know, I mean, we don't have to get into the, the most <laughs> evil. I know you've run into some evil people yeah, and, 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 and some bad stuff, but tell me a funny one. What do you got? You know, uh, <laughs> this one, I, I, I just, I still shake my head at it. We, uh, one of the lakes down there, uh, we stocked the lake because the you know licensed buyers uh, buy the you know they they pay for those fish to come in and everything. But one of the things about that lake is that the the concessionaire would uh, would buy fish as well, larger fish, and of course it was approved through the Division of Wildlife at that time, and and uh, you know they were they were disease free and all of these other things and. We were there one day to make sure that the fish that were coming in were uh, were properly licensed, or you know, I mean, the health certificates and everything else. And as they were being dumped into the lake, sometimes that shock, uh, you know, different temperatures or different pH will change things. And as I'm standing there, there's a guy out in the lake, and he he grabs one of those big fish that's kind of belly up. I mean, it was fin and it wasn't going to, to, uh, to die. All they had to do was take the tail and move it back and forth. So the water would move across the gills and sure. get the air. But he chose to pick it up and give it mouth to mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I, I looked and I thought, no, this can't, this really can't be happening. And he did it again. And I, so I told one of the guys who was there, I said, look at this. And I tried to get a picture of it, but I was laughing too hard. I couldn't, couldn't hardly stand it. Yeah, mouth yeah. to mouth to a fish. Mouth to mouth to a fish. And he would get the, he wouldn't bring the fish much out of the water, but he'd get his face right down next to the, you know, and bring that fish up out of the water and, and blow into his mouth. And I'm going... Yeah, something isn't right here. Yeah, not everyone's seen that. <laughs> not everyone's seen mouth to mouth to a fish before. That's uh what um I also wonder in law enforcement, in your in your occupation, like what's the what's the most common offense? What's the thing like here's the th- here's the question. I'm I'm butchering the question. What's the thing that you could, if you could tell everyone that's fixing to go out in the woods hunting or fishing, what's the thing that if they listened to you on this, there would be the least, there would be the biggest reduction in offenses? Does that question make sense? Or yeah, not? it does make sense. And I wish I had a, I wish I had a pat answer. I will, you know, I'll, I will say one thing for sure. And it, and it doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it used to be, but just make sure those weapons are unloaded. You know, they've, there's no sense of having a, a live round in the chamber of a rifle. 
until you're ready to shoot. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've been involved with accidents inside vehicles, you know, where, where we got ready to stop a guy one night. Uh, he was spotlighting, didn't know we were anywhere around, and when we turned the red and blue lights on, a uh, shot went off, and he had shot himself because he, the gun was loaded. And when he saw us, he tried to uh, tried to unload it and ended up shooting himself. So, just just maintain the safety aspect of no no uh, no live rounds in the in the weapon. I mean, there's no reason. I'm I'm preaching the choir. You've been out there and and put yourself out there. And I'm going to say right here in the podcast, thank you for what you did, because yeah. well, no, I'm I'm telling you, don't. If it weren't for guys like you, we wouldn't have this stuff, and I mean that sincerely. Well, I'm right back at you. So, but uh, you know the that kind of stuff, the safety aspect, uh, wearing the daylight fluorescent orange. I mean, guys think they have to wear camouflage into Walmart to buy a, you know, to buy a a, a gallon of milk. They they don't. But when they're out there in the hills, wear that daylight fluorescent orange because it will save your life. So things like that just the just the mindset of of being safe a lot of our regulations and statutes they're either to protect wildlife or they're to protect humans and a lot of them are are about humans so yeah uh a hunter's orange is a crazy thing because there's actually some really good data now on number of hunting accidents prior to hunter's orange becoming a thing i mean it's like you can't argue it. You can't argue against the safety aspect of that orange. You also, if you've ever been out in the mountains hunting, you can't argue how he's, you know, you can see a guy that you didn't see for 30 minutes of glass in a hill and he puts his, his, his orange beanie on and all of a sudden he just blares out on the side of that hill and you know exactly where they're at. Yep. What's the, what's the, uh, like I, I wrote some notes here because I didn't want to stall out and not know what to do next. And I wrote, "Do you ever just roll your eyes? What's the, what's the goofy things that people do, or what's the?" Um, tell me a story about somebody arguing with you that they think they were right. Oh, that's you know that's a tough one. I I've been involved where uh, where people have been shot and and. Uh, the individual that shot him, it was a uh, was charged with careless hunting, and he argued with me that that he wasn't careless. He had shot two people, and one of them one of them died on the site. And he told me that he wasn't careless, but it was a sound shot. You know, there was uh, camouflage involved, and and that kind of stuff. So it's like, how can you argue? Yeah, you know, you don't shoot at sound, you don't shoot at movement, uh, any of those kinds of things. I mean, uh, and part of it too is, <laughs> I mean, you don't beat a man at his own game. I mean, sure, guys get away with a lot of stuff, but then again, sometimes you 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 don't get away with things that you think you're going to get away because, you know. <laughs> The old saying, "This this isn't my first rodeo." Right. That, that's 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 straight up, you know. Yeah. The uh, the the sound shots or the movement shots are a thing that I, I really do as a human being try to understand the situation 
you know, look at, I think this comes from my dad, but I think my dad was probably, if, if he got pulled over by my dad, there was going to be a level of respect, um, as long as it went both ways, and, and some understand, not, we don't have to crush a person that just made an honest mistake. Nope. Um, but when it comes to that, when it comes to people getting, there's no excuse. There's, I've said this on our podcast before, it's, it's one of the things I have zero tolerance for, um, that there's no defense of a hunter that shoots into the bushes and it's another hunter. Um, that's not even, I can't fathom that. Like no. I, I can't even as a little kid, not, and even before I was maybe old enough to under completely ungrasp the safety and the severity of pulling the trigger on a firearm. Um, like how I would want to know what elk I was shooting, like even that side of it, you know what I mean? Like I would want to know if, what, if I'm shooting an elk or a bear or a mule deer or a turkey or a coyote, I don't, I don't understand that and what goes through people's minds there. Is it? And that goes back to, that goes back to the, to the, the respect again too, because if you're out here hunting a deer or an elk or whatever it is, it's your responsibility as a hunter, if you're going to shoot that animal to take a shot, that's going to, to dispatch that animal as quickly and humanely as possible. And if you're shooting into brush or a sound deal or whatever it is, you're not, you're not picking your shot, obviously. And, you know, and, and not what I try to get across and everybody does in our hunter education classes and everything else is, you know, I always tell people, you know, you, you fight with your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, you say things that you wish you hadn't said, but you go back to them that, that night or something say, man, I'm sorry I said that I should have never, should have never said that. And, and, and a lot of times they'll accept that excuse. Or that apology, but when you pull the trigger, that's it. You don't bring that bullet back, and you can, you can talk and cry and apologize all you want. But but you have done that deed. If you if you take another life or something, someone, that's yeah. It's your responsibility when you pull that trigger or release that arrow, where that where that uh, projectile goes. So. I th I think that's why. I don't think it's why. I, I know that that's why I think that firearm safety, archery safety, like you mentioned, and the handling of those in a con incredibly controlled environment with children is so valuable, right? Because if you can get the point that you just made across to them, right? This is not you being a dipshit and spilling Kool-Aid on mom's carpet. This yeah. is not anything else in the world, probably, or maybe getting behind the wheel of a motor vehicle is that, that when they get to that age is another lesson that's still not really that severe, but on the same kind of plane, um, it's the greatest tool for teaching children the severity of bad decisions. Again, in this incredibly in controlled environment that we should be doing it with, with youngsters when they're, when they are pulling the trigger on something, um, I've seen a lot of kids grasp that, right? Like they were maybe kids that made a lot of goofy decisions. And when you're six and you make a lot of goofy decisions, you're just ornery. And it's very hard to, you know, without getting in trouble with protective services, it's very hard to 
pound a lesson into them about the severity of your decisions, I think that that firearm safety in a controlled environment is a great way to do that, whether it leads to hunting or not. Um, I'm kind of a firm believer that every preteen or early teen should be taught that lesson in oh. some way. I don't know what the answer is, and I don't care if you're if your parents are completely against firearms and a hundred percent against hunting. Um, I think that they should be taken somewhere and shown the, the power and the severity of the decision of pulling a trigger, whether it's on an archery release or a firearm. I agree with you a hundred percent. One of the things that, that I've tried to do down there and when we have a hunter education class or, you know, some of the schools have been kind enough to have it in their, in their curriculum we're not we're not trying to make you a hunter that's right. in your heart you know i mean i'm not i'm not telling you anything being a hunter is not about pulling your index finger back that's anybody can do that being a hunter is in your heart and in your head so i tell these kids we're not we're not trying to make you a hunter but we want you to understand why why we do hunt and what the 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 situation is around firearms because so you don't uh, so you don't hunt or anything else but you jump in the truck with with a boyfriend or whatever and he's got a rifle in the rack there you're around firearms so you need to you need to know and you need to understand and have this have the strength to control that situation yeah you know the strength and the knowledge yeah yep. absolutely it's funny when you said that Pulling the trigger isn't isn't part of being a hunter. It made me think of there's this video clip of Jim Shockey, who I think is a is is, is a is a celebrity hunter that I admire, um, and he talks about his dad and his dad was just working hard to raise a family and to his dad the ultimate deer hunt was he put some meat in the freezer sun up on opening morning, and he said that's not Jim in a respectful way is saying that's not what I am on as a hunter. And to him, the ultimate deer hunt is dusk on the last day of hunting hard for five days, he shoots a deer, you know, and that, that situation was so easy. Like I'm that way too. Uh, my mule deer hunt in Colorado this year, you know, I told you a little bit about it and, and uh, it was, it was the middle of the afternoon on opening day. And that was the only thing that flashed through my mind. It wasn't any doubt on that's the deer I want, but I genuinely thought I wonder if we can find him tomorrow mm -hmm. because I wanted the hunt. I wanted to continue what that we were experience. Doing. Yep. And uh, it's the thing that I don't think a lot of a lot of folks that don't hunt or know hunters um, or in or in, in you know just aren't around it don't understand that the the trigger pull. The trigger pull means the the end of it for us. You know what I mean? It means the end of the experience that we're having out here and, and yep. the thing that we're doing. So yep. it's it's not what it's about. They need to be they need to be educated in in the in the spirit of the outdoors. I mean, and that sounds that sounds pretty grandiose, but there's a there is a spiritual connection there when you get in the outdoors. Sure. It it you can go to church whatever you need to do but it but when you're when you're in the outdoors there's a spiritual connection there yeah to in in whatever element or or a denomination or theology you have in your brain it, it it's where it happens the most for yep. me 
um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. What, uh, before we wrap up here, what is, uh, what's Bob Holder want to tell, I wouldn't say the world, because the world is not going to listen to this, but a few people are, <laughs> um, you know, I, I would, what, what's some, what's some, uh, 47 years in the game wisdom you've got for those of us out there that are still trying to figure things out about hunting, conservation, wildlife, the outdoors? Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll put it, and this is, is kind of well known in, in my family, and, and it uh, it's, seems like it's always me, 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 but it just is, it's just been a it's just been an absolute honor to be to be a game warden in Colorado. I mean, that is, to me, that's the ultimate. You know, there are, uh, that's just it. I mean, there, there's nothing better. Uh, you were you were a warrior, and uh, and I'm sure that you feel that way about that. And and that's that's the way I feel about a game warden and about being a game warden in Colorado. And you know. Probably, and I've said it before, the worst day of my life is going to be the day I can't wear this shirt anymore. And I, that sounds pretty, pretty major. I've lost my, you know, mom and my mom and dad and family members and everything, but this has been my whole life, you know. And so when it's gone, it's my, you know, I'm always told, well, you could go and do something else. No. No, I'm a Colorado game warden. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to be, and that's all I ever will be. I don't want to want to be anything else. So, Grandpa, you can add Grandpa to that list now, right? I, yeah, I can add Grandpa, but but I'll tell you what. <laughs> no, once I, again, <laughs> once again, I've missed a lot of stuff with with grandkids and everything else because, and and this sounds bad, but the job came first because wildlife is. They don't know it's a holiday. They don't know it's it's grandbaby's birthday or things like that. And and you have taken an oath as a as a wildlife officer to to be there to protect it. And and like again, I know that sounds pretty grandiose, but you've been there. You put yourself out there for all of us. And and uh, my dad told me once. He was the smartest guy I know. Funniest guy I know. But he told me once down there, he said, you know, Bob, there's not a deer or an elk in this country worth giving your life for. And that's the only time I, uh, that's the only time I disagreed with my dad, because that's the oath that we took. That's what you do. Yeah, I don't think it sounds bad or grandiose at all. I think that the world needs more people. Um, I don't know. I don't like sounding all apocalyptic about the world. I think this is the greatest time to be alive, honestly, but... I do think the world is losing a sense of honor, a sense of, you know, if you took an oath to do this, your three-year-old will be okay if, if, if you miss a little bit of time with them. In the, in the long run, that three-year-old's going to grow up and have a greater sense of respect, A, for dad, um, as well as just an understanding of respect. Right, I think that we've become really soft in that aspect. I think that, I think that uh, I've said this publicly multiple times. I think that one of the, when you see some of the things that happen in law enforcement today, there's some highly publicized events of cops doing 
really bad things, like bad things. And I think that in their mind, they went to work that day and their top priority in the world was going home safe at night. And if that's your, and I want them to go home safe at night. I do. But if that is the number one priority, you're not actually living up to the oath of the badge that you, that you've got on your chest because you know, we're talking about a job that you were sworn into. Yep. Right. I understand a hundred percent in just about every other job in the damn world that going home safe to your family should in fact be your top priority. Um, but you made a choice. Guys in the military made a choice. Law enforcement guys made a choice. I mean, you had to hold your right hand up and take an oath, right? And uh, when you take that oath, um, I, 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 you know, I, I watched my dad go to work and knowing that coming home safe to us that night was not his number one priority. It was a huge thing to him, and I'm not trying to downplay that in any way. Oh, I got you. Someone's going to twist this up and, and, and not like what I'm saying, but... I think we've lost some of that in law enforcement that the that when it, when the badge is on, the oath is is the top priority. You know they cannot like what you're saying because they've never given that commitment to anything, and that's the that's the whole key. I remember getting called away from dinner table one night and and my son being not too happy about it. And I said, what's the matter? Don't you want to be a game warden when you grow up? He said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And like I said, now he's probably the best game warden I've ever been around. So there's a, there's been something instilled there in him that, and I caught it one day, we were walking away from a place uh, up in the mountains and, and uh, I kind of looked back over my shoulder and he was standing there looking back into into this meadow that we had been in. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you never know when you're going to see this again. That says it all right there. Right. You know, so. No, 100%. Couldn't agree more. And uh, I think that uh, I'm on this a little bit of a mission for the for the hunting community to, uh, I don't know, maybe to bring back that respect that, because we just wouldn't have it, right? We, we just wouldn't have, and I have a lot of friends I personally have been very fortunate. When I was eight years old, I shot one too many ducks as the as the only actual game violation I think I've ever done in my life. And it was I shot twice. I shot. I dropped one duck with the first shot, and then all these teal flared, and six of them fell on the second shot. And I could shoot six, but I dropped seven. My dad gave me a quick. That's the only game violation I believe. I believe that I've ever that I've ever. Uh, but I I have I have friends who are still dear friends to mine, um, who, you know, who skirt it. Um, some of them don't, like, some of them I'm sure aren't skirting it. They've jumped over the damn line, yeah. right? Um, and that doesn't make me not be a friend with a person. Um, but I think that, and then, and then you know, they get, they get in trouble <laughs> when they get caught, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're a bad guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think that first and foremost, we should look at every police officer and thank them that I can walk down the street of my hometown in a, and feel completely safe. Um, but we got to look at game wardens and thank them for taking that oath, going out and doing what is actually inherently a more dangerous job than a city police officer when you look at the statistics. Um, 
and and oh it, it, it's not really about the individual what I'm saying it's about the group that the reason we get to go hunt is because you guys enforce the laws that someone if, if, if you weren't there we wouldn't be hunting anymore if, you, if, if there was an enforcement of these laws it would have ended a long time ago honestly I mean I think that you know we wouldn't uh, my, my, my dad wouldn't have been a hunter if there was an enforcement of what the biologists dictate we need to be doing in the world yeah yeah and I and I'm going and again not to blow smoke but I'm going to turn it back on you too if it weren't for guys like you we wouldn't have the freedom to do that here to be able to go out and hunt people don't understand there's you know Europe places like that it's a rich man's sport you don't you don't just go out and hunt and and the people here have that opportunity and they need to protect that they need to respect it you know, so. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And that respect is, is important and not taking it for granted and being thankful for what we have and the people that have provided it to us. So yeah, thanks for that, for doing that for, I mean, you've been doing it a really long time, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too long. <laughs> thanks again for joining Thank us. You, I appreciate man. it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.